0: Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NC SPRA. I'm Stacia Harris, a member of the NC SPRA Media Team, and I'm the Director of Communications for Buncombe County Schools. Today's episode is gonna explore a topic that I find both interesting and challenging, crisis communications and and a response to a crisis event at a school. So since we know that a crisis can strike in many ways, we wanna tackle the topic from a couple of perspectives. So today we wanna focus on an event that would involve law enforcement and in an upcoming episode we'll walk through navigating something like a, a natural disaster or some other such event. Joining me today are two people that I keep on my speed dial. First up, Aaron Sarver is the PIO for the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office, and Lillian Gobas is the Director of Communications and Public Engagement for Buncombe County Government. Aaron and I work together often to deal with a variety of situations and should a major crisis strike, he would be the person that I'd be leaning on the most. And similarly, Lillian and Aaron would be working together should some event occur that would impact county government. I wanted to hear her thoughts on crisis planning, management, and communication from both her current role and her former role as a school PR professional in Guilford County, Atlanta, and Oregon. We're going to tackle some big topics today. Let's start the show. Welcome Aaron and Lillian to School PR Drive Time. To start us off, I'd like for each of you to briefly introduce yourself and your professional background. Aaron, we'll start with you.
1: Sure. Well, I'll start by saying I'm a proud graduate of North Carolina public schools, including New Hanover High School in Wilmington and NC State University. Um, I started working at the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office three years ago. Prior to that, no law enforcement experience, um, but a lot of the kind of common um, public relations comms experience in the nonprofit world, communication director for a couple different nonprofits, and um, a little bit of reporting and publishing background. My first adult job was associate publisher for a news magazine for seven years, Um, but Uh, This is the first kind of run working for law enforcement and working for the government. So it's been an interesting three years.
0: Awesome. and uh, Lillian, what about you? Yeah,
2: um, like Aaron, proud North Carolina public school graduate. I can't let him one up me. Um, (laughs) But uh, my first job out of college uh, was with the News and Record newspaper in Greensboro. Um, as a writer with them. And um, and then I got offered a job with Guilford County Schools. And I thought, that seems really boring working in school <laughs> PR, but at least there's benefits. And, uh, you know, I stayed with them for six years and no two days were ever the same. So certainly, um, I underestimated what, what I was getting into and couldn't be more grateful for what I learned um, there at Guilford County Schools. Um, From there, I went to DeKalb County Schools in Atlanta with 99,000 kids um, and had some more learning adventures. Also worked for the city of Atlanta Department of Watershed Management, so got into the um, glamorous world of sewage. And um, then I headed out to Oregon and worked for a school district there before coming to Buncombe County government um, to get back closer to home. So it's been a privilege to get to be back in Western North Carolina where I grew up um, and learning a slightly different side. Of governments, PR, and communications, but using those same same principles that make um, folks, uh, you know, that school PR uses every single day, um, I found that they've been really beneficial here as well.
0: Great, thank you guys, and obviously, you know, for for the audience, um, I know you all really well. Um, We we work together for for various. various uh, challenges and opportunities, we'll say. And and so really, you know, if you have a conversation about what to do when a crisis strikes, I think we need to begin with talking about what school practitioners should be doing well before the crisis strikes. And I think that's getting to know your fellow PIOs in the area, which is, um, you know, something that, that I prioritize. Um, I feel like I've got um, at least on a first name basis with um, all the PIOs, because really, you never know, you um, know, When an emergency happens, you never know who you're going to have to connect with, who you're going to have to collaborate with, and you never, ever want the crisis to be the time that you first meet. Um, That makes things way more challenging than they need to be. So um, Lillian, let's start with you. Talk to me a little bit about how you've worked over the last several jobs and sort of several different roles. How do you work to build those connections?
2: Sure. It's just like you say, um, you know, waiting until the crisis is happening doesn't allow you the opportunity to build those relationships in advance and be able to create that synergy. So one of the things that I did when I um, went out to the school district in Oregon is I sat down with all my law enforcement counterparts and talked about, you know, here's how I here's here's how I like to communicate. Here are the tactics that I like to use, um, and here are my goals. And so we were able to have a really good conversation, and not, a, not all of those um, law enforcement partners were on the same page about you know, how we use Twitter in a lockdown and that sort of thing. So it was a good opportunity to learn each other's strengths and weaknesses. Another great opportunity that I had was with the, the local city. We had a pretty dire water emergency where we had um, algae in the water. And so because I had already created the relationship with the city's PIO, we were able to collaborate on the messaging around water. I was able to lean on my background in Um, having worked for the Water Department for a little while to to understand the terminology and the language and also be a supporting partner to the city as we used our communications mechanisms in the school district to really help drive messaging. We had such great access to things like school messenger, auto dialers, or that sort of thing. So we were able to get real-time information out to the larger community in a way that really helped benefit the city so they were able to lean on our relationship as well during that crisis.
0: So Aaron, what about you? How do you work to build those key relationships with your uh, fellow PIOs before disaster strikes?
1: Well, I think Lillian hit on a lot of the major points and she's absolutely right. Um, you know, you have to be intentional about that outreach. And obviously with COVID and everything being virtual, it's it's more difficult to do it um, or to 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 be intentional about in-person meetings. You know, it's so hard to pick up tone when you don't know someone over email or text or whatever, and people are busy and stressed and and all that kind of stuff, especially these last couple of years. So especially for Southern people, I think sitting down and, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee face-to-face, introducing yourself and just, you know, for folks who are in those PR crisis comms, roles, understanding like, hey, we have stressful jobs. We have jobs that require us to, you know, oh, we're hanging out with friends or having dinner with the family and the boss called, all heck broke loose. Sorry, I got to go. That's super stressful, right? So kind of forging those common bonds that people understand and, and just, you know, getting people to understand—you um, know, obviously the strategy, as Lillian mentioned, and the different tools, and and hopefully we're all trained up on best practices and have drafted shell content ready to go, and all that kind of prep work you do ahead of time. But there's no real substitute for, um, you know, not just not knowing someone or or meeting them for the first time, but have you worked with someone? you know, do you feel like they, you can trust them, right? So all three of us work together all the time and we've had these stressful situations. We've had these crisis situations where, um, you know, we're forced to work quickly. And, you know, if you, if you have those people that you you really trust, right. Um, you know, you're going to show up, you, you know, you've seen them make judgment calls. We all make bad judgment calls in the moment, certainly in stressful situations. Um, you've learned how they work. Um, and you just know each other a little bit, right? So I think a big part of it too, if if you get beyond that, not just, you know, the person, but you trust the person that, you know, I trust you, Stacia or Lillian to say, um, Hey, this is a mistake. You need to pause Mm -hmm. and think about this right now, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa, you know, I would feel comfortable saying that to y'all, right? That's not going to happen over email, and that's not going to happen first time you meet someone. Um, but having other people that you really trust in, in those stressful situations, um, I think, you know, there's there's no replacing that. But you have to be intentional about getting.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's all this great proactive work that you can do. And then then, of course, there's just, you know, the opportunities uh, to, to work together for And I, I don't want to say lower level crises. Um, uh, while Aaron and I work well together, I know if, if he's calling me, something's wrong. If law enforcement is involved, like something's wrong. And so um, already it, it kind of puts, I think, school PR folks um, um can knock you off kilter just a little bit. And I think if you can have opportunities to work with your fellow PIOs in a kind of in a professional way, Aaron has a sense when I'm sending out a message to my families, he has a sense of what we prioritize as an organization. And I also know what he, his organization prioritizes as the um, sheriff's department. So I think just to have that past knowledge and past experience is really helpful. Cause again, when the crisis is really big and really major that's not the time for us to be learning each other's voices and priorities uh if that makes sense um so we do want to transition to um and to touched on it a little bit the process of um What happens when there is some major, major event at your school and law enforcement becomes involved? And so um, I want to take this opportunity to turn it over to Aaron. And he's going to walk us through the situation, I think, from law enforcement's perspective. Um, Because again, when the, say, it's a shooting, some sort of crime happens, um, it's going to be a lot of organizations coming together really quickly in the beginning. And um, where do the school PR folks fit in uh, to that puzzle? So Aaron, I'll turn it over to you.
1: Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start by saying obviously the law enforcement agencies are going to operate differently. I mean, again, hopefully folks are up on best practices and have technology, but you know, some, some agencies are super small. You know, some PDs have 10 or 15 sworn officers. Sheriff's Office, we have 430 staff. We're small compared to, you know, Mech County or Wake County, right? Um, So it's going to be uneven, but but what we have in place at the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office is um, we basically have an internal alert system um, that's just basically an app is all it is, right? So hopefully we're going to get notification on that pretty quickly. Um, Hopefully what's going to happen before I get that, um, speaking of building the relationships, is... Someone over at 911 dispatch is going to call me and say, "Hey, we just got a call, or we probably got 10 calls of we have an active shooter at whatever school." Right. Um, so that's a great example of having that working relationship. You know, dispatch almost always, whatever critical incident or or whether it's fire, um, you know, it doesn't even have to necessarily be a criminal thing you know, um, they're going to hear about it first because the community is going to call 911 or the non-emergency number. So That's super crucial. Um, and that happened um, just about a year ago, a year plus. Um, the sheriff's, uh, Bunker County, his house caught fire in a kind of weird freak accident. I first heard about that because Brooke, the 911 dispatch manager, called me and said, um, and it was the name of, of the sheriff's spouse is calling, uh, is this address, the sheriff's address. And, you know, it's like three in the afternoon, right? So complete shock, drop everything. Um, but hopefully we're going to get that initial alert, um, operationally. I trust that first responders across the board are going to do their thing as they should. Um, probably, the first step um, is going to our Fuchsius Real-Time Intelligence Center. station and I have talked about that. Um, we won't go into it too much here, and we don't have a visual aid. But basically, you know, it's a room with a bunch of monitors, and we're going to be able to tie into the camera system at the school. And again, that's not just for PR. That's literally going to be that um, personnel who, who are using that to communicate over to the radio to better get resources into the building. Um, And we'll set up a command post on site of the incident, obviously, and then we'll have a command post here up in our administrative offices and and just go from there. Again, quickly pulling up our kind of documents and starting um, to think about as the scene is is secured, um, then moving into the kind of PR response. Obviously, we're only going to put out accurate vetted information. Um, The first thing I'm probably going to do is is probably tweet about it. Um, In these crisis comm situations, and we did have an active shooter at the courthouse two years ago, which is probably the highest profile thing we've had since I've been in this role. um, Your phone is going to be swarmed, right? All the local media is calling you, texting you, emailing you. Various people on staff are trying to call you. So that's going to become, in crisis comms term, your, your phone may become a brick, meaning it's it's not super functional. Obviously, I'm not going to be taking calls from reporters in those situations because I'm busy just doing stuff. So what we did in that situation, and hopefully what the local media understands is Twitter is how we're going to broadcast when we're having a press conference, where the reunification site is. Um, you know, whatever confirmed information we have, that's the easiest way to push, push info out all the local media follows us on Twitter. So I know they'll see it there. Um, and then that will probably be our bridge to whatever kind of in-person briefing we have press conference briefing, whatever, um, hopefully within the first, you know, hour or two after the incident, critical incident is over and the scene is secured.
0: And I would imagine, you know, through that process, whether it's the superintendent or whether it would be the the school PIO, uh, school communications director, um, we're certainly in the room at the time, but we are not taking the reins in in any way necessarily. You know, it's not going to be Stacia out on her own in the hinterland tweeting away without um, at least consulting with with the uh, sheriff's office first. So um, talk to me just a little bit about according to your protocols, um, you know, how does that kind of symbiotic relationship work, especially in the first minutes, um, hours, maybe days of a crisis where we, we we have to be working together to coordinate communication?
1: Obviously, you know, if, if you're doing this as a sole PIO, you're going to drown very quickly. Um, there's just too much to do um, and your bandwidth isn't going to be able to handle it. So You know, you need to tag in your folks again. Hopefully you roughly at least have those roles kind of designated and you have an idea of, you know, who can fill them and people may be out sick or not available or whatever. Um, Obviously, you're going to contact your counterpart uh, in law enforcement or at school. So, you know, Stacia, you know, can you come over to the fourth floor or at least now, you know, you need to go on scene or whatever. Um, start working with, you know, prepping, uh, the school superintendent, the ballpark ideas will hold a press briefing in two hours. So just, you know, for start preparing your comments, um, and we'll go for there, you know, we know in every kind of crisis situation, way beyond schools, misinformation is going to dominate early on. So you probably need to designate someone to monitor social media. Um, And again, hopefully you have that trusted presence where people realize whether it's Buncombe County Schools or the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office or Buncombe County Government that the information that's coming out on Twitter or whatever info info stream you choose is verified information that they can trust. And you may want to post something about rumor control, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you kind of tag in your core team that you know and trust and designate out those different roles. Um, hopefully you have at least three or four people. Um, Keep in mind, you may have to go 24 or 48 hours with little sleep. You know, hopefully you'll be able to go home for a little bit, but who knows, right? Um, And, um, you know, from that first, from the initial incident, scene secured incident is over to that first kind of media availability, press briefing, press conference, whatever happens, um, you know, start thinking about what is the next time you're going to communicate, right? Um, You're obviously not going to be able to hold press conferences every hour or every six hours. The questions from media and the community are probably going to keep coming at a steady stream, but you're going to have to make some choices about how frequently you want to update after that kind of initial window of kind of getting info out. Um, And, you know, again, a lot of this is just judgment call. So I think um, hopefully you can gather your, your team um, in the same location, do that debrief Mm -hmm. after the initial period, how would that press conference go, what outstanding issues do we have? What did we miss? What did we do well? Um, operating quickly, um, and you know, hopefully, it will not be a you know week long prolonged incident, um, but an incident that um, within 24 hours or 48 hours, things start to kind of come back to some level of normalcy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: And so I think you, you
0: bring up a great point about, you know, having more PIOs um, than you kind of anticipate in the room kind of coordinating. And I think it's a great point to make that uh, as a school PR pro, you should plan to be able to collaborate with the school systems next door. Um, like in our case, Asheville City Schools, Henderson County Schools, Transylvania County Schools. Those are the PIOs that I would reach out to, to help me with my internal communications. If you imagine there's some sort of Um, incident at a school, uh, the the extra layer of complication is potentially you've got a school filled with children and staff. And so you're going to have parents who are going to want to come to the school. You're going to have parents calling the school, uh, trying to figure out what's going on. And so it just, it adds a a slight layer of, of complication that you have to be ready for that immediate activation. And you have to have a a way pre-planned way to, um, Corral the parents to where they need to be and where they can be safe and make sure you're creating space for law enforcement to keep the scene secure and do what they're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, even a team, we're a team of uh, four now. I don't know that four people could do that. I mean, we would definitely need to reach out for help. And so Lillian, I want to bring you into the conversation since you've had experience kind of on, on all sides of, of being, um, a PIO as well. Um, what, how does all that strike you? Um, does that sort of uh, align with your maybe internal game plan? Should, should you guys have to, um, deal with some sort of crisis where law enforcement is involved and you can reflect on your, your current position, um, and, or your time in school PR. Yeah. I mean, the principles
2: are the same, right? Get there first. Uh, own your message, be transparent, be empathetic, um, and don't paint yourself into corners with facts that you don't know to be true. One of the things, you know, certainly principals are are very inclined to want to make parents feel better as soon as possible, right? That's one of their wonderful traits. But, um, you know, if you have a loaded weapon on campus, then are you or or you believe it's unloaded? Perhaps your principal says it's an unloaded weapon, and you get that information as a PIO. Has that been verified by law enforcement? Because certainly you don't want to paint yourself into a corner with the fact that it was unloaded when law enforcement comes behind um, and takes the weapon apart and finds that it was indeed loaded. Um, so so how do we make sure that we don't paint ourselves into the corner with facts that we can't verify to be true? And so that's where those relationships with law enforcement are so so important and. Um, here in Buncombe County, we developed a crisis communication plan that, um, that we you know, work together with all of our PIOs, health department, um, sheriff's office, our general county, so that we know what type of incident, who the lead PIO is, and who falls in and supports behind, um, and kind of what that decision-making process looks like, so that we can all you know, know how to best support in the time of a crisis. Who leads the communication, um, and who is there, you know, doing boots on the ground and figuring out all of that, um, you know, all of the stuff that Erin's talking about. Of where's the press conference, how are we communicating to media, how are we identifying this location once media arrives, who's there to kind of um, help get them set up where we need them to be. So that's one of the things that we've done in my former school district. We would do our team, you know, and I know that not everyone has the benefit of having a communications team in their district if they're a one-person shop. But we would, for our staff meetings once a month, we would go through an exercise. We would make up the scenario ourselves, go through the exercise, and try to, on our own, in our own time, keep our skills sharp so that we were ready to communicate about all of the things that um, school communicators are charged with. I was so lucky when I was in Guilford County Schools to get to work for Nora Carr um, and really learn those key principles of crisis communications from one of the best in the business. Um, And so having utilized those across all of the other PIO roles that I've um, had the fortune to be in, just getting there first, having those relationships, owning your message, being transparent, um, and making sure you have all of the facts confirmed.
0: Great. Well, everyone, we're just beginning this conversation and we do want to take a quick break now. And when we return, Lillian will share her experience of navigating a major crisis as a school communicator and how she successfully handled that challenge. Stay with us, everyone. You're listening to School PR Drive Time.
1: Did you know that students spend an average of 13 percent of their waking hours in school by the time they're 18? This leaves parents facing the question of how to fill the remaining 87 percent. Together with parents and communities, schools share in the joint mission to enrich the lives of children in and outside the classroom, but you can't do it alone. That's where Peach Jar comes in. With Peach Jar, your school can provide more resources, increase engagement with busy parents, and streamline communication so that you can spend more time focusing on celebrating student success. Trusted by over 17,000 plus schools and 850 plus school districts, 34,000 plus community organizations, and over 12 million parents nationwide, Peach Jar delivers resources that help communities thrive. Book a demo at www.peachjar.com today to learn how partnering with Peach Jar can help you streamline your communications process and better connect with your community.
0: Welcome back to School PR Drive Time. So Lillian, tell us about your crisis communication experience and what advice you would offer to others who may find themselves in a similar position.
2: Yeah, as we've been talking, I've been thinking about, um, you know, all of the different, uh, the different scenarios, especially that school communicators face. I don't think um, I've been in a role where there have been more crises and as frequent crises as in a, in school PR, because of the, just the sheer volume of, people who you have coming through those buildings every day it's for some it's like the size of a, of a city and you have all of the operations of a city from transportation to facilities to um, you know to human resources so when I think about the advice that I get that I would give to others who are in this position or who are growing in their PIO roles or if you are interested in going into school PR, Um, I would say to find yourself a mentor and really learn from them. Um, Find someone who does it well um, and watch what they do uh, and find out what they read and find out the news that they follow um, and learn as much as possible from them. Certainly the other piece that I did that was helpful, and I know you're doing, you've got your eyes on this as well, is the accreditation and public relations process. Um, I came from a very um, different background. I have a uh, illustrious jazz trumpet degree from UNC Greensboro, so I didn't have the fundamental training that um, a lot of people in this profession have. So when I went through that accreditation process, it really taught me the theory um, and the why and the how behind the work, um, and not just the outcome. So that was a big, a big learning opportunity for me that helped me be more confident in those times of crisis. I remember talking to my old superintendent from. Guilford County, Mo Green, who um, is as Z Smith Reynolds now, but um, we were chatting at uh, an INSPRA conference. And uh, he said, when do, you, when do you feel like you add the most value to the organization? And I said, hands down, it's a moment of crisis because that's when I have the most clarity of how I can, act, how I can help. You know, you've gotta be a helper in those situations. And, um, and so through all of those opportunities that I had to learn I was able to use those skills to be the helper um, from any, you know, we had situation where a parent murdered their children outside of a school. We had a school burned down completely due to arson. We had fatal bus accidents, you know, and so from the little ones to the big ones, they all matter when you've got a parent who's worried about the welfare of their child.
0: Absolutely. You bring up so many great points and it keeps in my mind, you know, it keeps going back to uh, relationships and those internal relationships uh, matter as well, uh, because in a crisis, um, everyone's going to be in sort of a heightened state and you don't want, you know, a a staff member answering the the phone and it's a reporter on the other end, you know, Asking asking questions and, and things of that nature. And so I just think it's so important to um, not only have sort of your external partners um, and those relationships figured out well before the crisis, but also make sure your folks internally know what their job will be when it all goes sideways, because um, it's going to be chaos. Um, and I know um, and Aaron, if you want to touch on our um our school evacuation drill, and um, that's another huge part of I think being prepared and for a crisis is um, doing it in real time. Like Lillian was saying, um, they did essentially a tabletop drill um, for several years, but you know before the pandemic, our school system organized an actual full-scale evacuation drill to test our our procedures and to test our ability to communicate with parents and test our ability to herd, you know, a 1, thousand, twelve hundred kids to a second uh, safe location should, should something happen at the school that um, would mean they can no longer stay there. So um, Aaron, talk to me just a little bit about just the value of using your, your, your procedures, putting them into practice with a drill or something of that nature.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, practice makes perfect. Right. And, and probably nothing is going to be perfect, but hopefully you're learning a lot. And, and obviously we do from the law enforcement operational side, they do a lot of training with active shooter drills and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think again, to Lillian's point of, um, you know, finding a mentor and kind of practicing the the PR aspect of it, right. Go to those trainings, advocate for yourself, go to those paid trainings Um I went, I was fortunate to go to a week-long FBI LIDA um, class on uh, PIO stuff, which was really great, you know, mostly are all law enforcement there led by um, a guy who worked for a sheriff's office down in South Carolina, and and that was a great learning experience. Um, And, you know, all those same principles of crisis communication, first first reporter, first responder agencies um, you know get out the accurate information first be the trusted source have your cap statements and all that stuff but um, we're all very busy and again um, stressed out and overworked but for me what I what I like to do when I find some spare time is look at other crisis stuff happening right it can be it could be you know wildfires in California or something go down, Look at how the local daily paper is covering it. Try to go to the Facebook page of those municipalities, see what they're saying. Um, You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, you learn not what or you learn what not to do, right? When other Mm -hmm. folks are making mistakes. And it's that classic here's an elected official or emergency management person, just a horrendous, painful press conference, right? Mm -hmm. Where they weren't prepared. They weren't, um, you know, they weren't, um, they weren't ready for prime time. And, you know, again, we all make mistakes. We all may choke under the pressure, but, uh, you know, in a lot of those cases, it's clear that they hadn't practiced. They didn't have their talking points. No one prepped them before they went live. No one said, you know, here's the obvious first question that's going to come from the reporter. Right. Um, okay. so we had, a, we had an incident um, last fall here in Buncombe County where we had a number of fires. Someone some ended up being three um, young people went around and set barns on fire in a, in a rural part of the county the same morning and it was a big deal and, and people were really scared and, and, and wasn't clear what's going on. Um, a lot of times in these situations, if, if you're thinking actively and, and kind of preparing that first question during the press conference, you can get pretty close to what it's going to be. Right. In that case, it was, when did the first call come in? Right. And so we had prepped that. Right. Um, And, 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 you know, obviously you're not going to be able to predict everything, but um, just practice. It's hard to find time again, especially during COVID and all the stuff going on with remote. But if you can get your people in a room together, Monthly would be great. Quarterly, twice a year. And just do those tabletop exercises and practice with people. And if you're doing them, um, you're probably going to get better and learn something every time, um, especially with emerging technology and, and social media. And, you know, the, dismini- the you know, daily papers are di- diminishing and, and kind of their reach and impact. How does that influence stuff? stuff is always changing. Um, mm-hmm.
0: so just practice. Preparing. Yeah. And, and the practice to me, you know, I'm, I'm sort of imagining, I think all of us, um, ha, work on a team one way or another. I don't think any of us are truly like a one man band. So, so what happens Lillian, I'll start with you. Um, you know, if Lillian, uh, you know, she, she's on vacation in the Caribbean, and something crazy happens, you know, um, do, do you guys, you know, is there a plan for, for someone to, to step in and, and be Lillian until Lillian gets back? And um, so I'll start with Lillian, and then go to Aaron.
2: Yeah, 100%. You know, we've got, we're, we're lucky to have resources here where we've got a full-time dedicated PIO to the county as a whole. And so through our crisis communication plan that we've built out that we have Um, stored on our intranet we've got all of that identified and so we know who our spokespeople would be we know who our spokespeople you know to aaron's point we know who our spokespeople wouldn't be because um, that's a high pressure situation and you have to have people who are incredibly prepared to be able to go into that and be successful and by successful i mean not necessarily gumming up the press conference but i mean someone who's able to um, think about all of the components of the crisis that has just happened and be able to communicate the truth out from that to help reassure a community that's justifiably going to be upset, whether it's upset about how their tax dollars are being used, upset about a uh, safety matter, um, or upset about general operations, or how it may impact their daily lives or lack of service that they're going to get. Um, So you really have to have someone who's quite adept going into that. So we've identified all of that through our crisis communication plan. Um, And, you know, we just developed also a media relations policy. And through that media relations policy, we're going to do regular training for our leaders so that they can feel confident going into that because we need to build up our staff credibility so that in the event of emergency, the people who we can bring forward to be those subject matter experts are prepared are confident, are comfortable, you know, they aren't second guessing themselves in the moment um, and they feel equipped to go into a really tough situation um, and be able to help our community in the way that the community deserves to be helped.
0: And Aaron, what about you? What if you're out, out on a cruise living your best life and, and the crisis strikes? Uh, do you guys have some contingency plans in place?
1: We do. And as Lillian said, you know, we're fortunate in Buncombe County that we have staffing levels, um, you know, that smaller or more rural areas may not have. So yeah, we have a a, a backup PIO at the sheriff's office, um, you know, Carolina, who we work closely with, that y'all have worked closely with, who's really great and, and completely trust her to take over. And, um, you know, as Lillian said too, I think there's, trusted people across the board, at the county, um, you know, it's going to vary. I mean, I hope if we have a crisis situation, I hope Lillian's not on vacation um, because people can sub in. But again, that level of trust and expertise, um, you know, it, it, you can't replace your all-star. So um, Lillian's not allowed to go on vacation. Um, <laughs> probably not allowed to say that. I am obviously joking our uh, <laughs> training we just took. But um, yeah, I think it just goes back to what we've been talking about, of, you know, practice with your team and try and build out the as much as possible.
0: Awesome. Well, um, finally, as we wrap up, obviously we've covered a lot of, um, a lot of ground talking about how do we you know prepare for the crisis? What are our roles during the crisis? And I kind of want to end the conversation talking about how do we know when the transition happens? Um, I think from, from a school perspective, perspective, once the kind of the, the acute problem ha- is resolved, whatever that looks like, um, you know, schools are, are going to have a lot of work to, to make sure parents um, feel safe bringing their kids back to your to your building and, and things of that nature. And so I'm able to start with uh, Lillian. Talk to us about how you managed uh, communications after the contaminated water disaster was kind of wrapping up and you were kind of transitioning to recovery mode.
2: That's a really great question. And and what we did during that time, you know, we all know that that families have the closest relationships with their individual school. It's probably the principal, you know, maybe especially at the elementary years, those teachers, there's those one classroom teacher is really um, a trusted resource. So we use those trusted connections throughout the school district to help with the messaging. By the time that the immediate crisis had been figured out and we knew how kids were gonna wash their hands and how they were gonna to flush toilets and how they were going to be able to have lunch. Once we got those tough logistics worked out, then we started working on creating those toolkits for our schools to be the communication leads. So they were using those trusted relationships that they already had with the families and the community members they serve to let them know what we've done to um, help their children be safe during that crisis and what our approach was going to be moving forward. So at that point, it was no longer the spokesperson who the average parent doesn't have a relationship with. It was the school member who the parent does trust who was saying, here's how we're gonna serve your child breakfast and lunch. Here's how after-school activities are gonna take place safely. Um, And then once we were able to have ensure a safe water supply, we use that same uh, tactic of having those toolkits for our school leaders to communicate to their families via auto emails, whatever their normal communication rhythm was with with their families. we leaned on that to help get that message out in a way that was authentic, genuine, honest, and trustworthy.
0: Great. And, and Aaron, I think um, from a law enforcement perspective, and I, I kind of want you to be able to touch on the, the fact that, you know, again, if, if Aaron and I are working together, a crime has been committed. And so what does that look like as far as um, crafting messages that um, don't, for example, um, hinder, hinder a, a prosecution or, or hinder an investigation? Um, how, does that, how does that recovery kind of look like in that, in that kind of situation?
1: Well, I, it's tricky and, you know, North Carolina just raised the age, which is a great thing, um, I think, but what it means quite frequently is for, for young adults who are under the age of 18, basically we can't give out any identifying information. We can't give out charges and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit tricky when it comes to transparency and accountability and that kind of stuff. Um, I think you just have to ignore some of the kind of process stuff you might get from the media about you're not telling us this and that. And I think most of the public is going to understand when you have an ongoing criminal investigation that you um, you can't put out information that may jeopardize that investigation when the time comes. You will disclose the proper information, and again, hopefully, you you have a track record and reputation. And again, the public doesn't care what the PIO says. Who is this person? I don't know who they are. Right? They want to hear from the police of chief, the chief of police, the sheriff, superintendent Baldwin, those those community members and leaders that they know. And so, hopefully, when that message is coming from them, that you know we're sharing the information we can, um, and when the when the proper time um, comes, we will disclose all the information that'll work, but it can definitely be tricky. um, And it can definitely be, again, when we go back to social media and the rumor mill type thing, they're hiding stuff. They don't want to tell us, you know, that kind of knee-jerk reaction is always going to be there, especially early on in social media. So I do think you need to be intentional. Mm -hmm. Again, having those trusted voices. Mm
0: And certainly, um, you know, as we're crafting messages and, and, and whatnot, Stacia's is not going to be emailing things out willy nilly without checking with Aaron or, or checking with Lillian kind of defending what the situation is. I think it's um, important to know that there's still going to be some collaboration um, just to make sure, again, we're, we're communicating the correct information, um, and like I said, in a timely fashion that won't jeopardize you know, what law enforcement investigators and the prosecution is trying to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and just another point that I think you're, you're correctly pointing to, you know, we talked a lot about doing your legwork ahead of time. Part of that is, you know, have you talked with your attorney, whether it's the county attorney or the attorney for the school system, so that you know what can we say, what can't we say, right? What is a HIPAA violation? What is a violation of public records laws? Um, you know, have a sense. Again, you're probably going to want to check in during the incident or, you know, during the the proper time, it's going to be rushed. But, you know, do some of that legwork, get into public records laws a little bit, um, have those conversations ahead of time, um, especially because ultimately the decision may be coming from the attorney or your boss that y'all are crystal clear that, you know, in that moment, we're going to err on the side of, you know, not releasing stuff even if we get criticized a little bit or maybe their decision is listen we're going to be as transparent as possible and if we get our hands smacked on a technicality for saying the age of a student when we shouldn't have I don't care that's what I'm choosing as the superintendent of schools just make sure you're clear and lined up on, on what the game plan is
0: Great. And, and so as we kind of wrap up this conversation, I kind of want to end with kind of one, one last kind of kind of takeaway question and I can start with with Lillian. Um, as you sort of think back maybe to um, you know your, your earliest years of, of being a, a PIO uh, for a school system, what's the, the, the one thing that you, you wish you knew before um, something serious happened? Well,
2: um, I like to share with people that the way that I've learned how to do, things, uh, right. is cause I've done, I've literally done everything wrong. Um, you know, I've shared information I shouldn't have shared. I have given out personal information, stayed awake all night, weren't, you know, upset and sick about the screw up that I made during a TV interview or, or, or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I have learned through practice, a lot of the worst practices. So it's helped me kind of, um, Guide my best practices. Um, one of the things I think that I learned through all of those um, memorable mistakes would be to double check and confirm the information. I'm thinking specifically about um, a situation where we I, we had in in when I was in Atlanta at the school district about uh, a student who had uh, what had been described to me as a toy gun. Um, And so uh, one of the local investigative reporters who was famously hard nosed and really difficult for um, everyone to deal with had me on camera and had me on camera saying that it was um, a, a toy gun when in actuality it was an airsoft rifle and he presented to me during this interview the statistics of how many fatalities and injuries have been caused from at airsoft rifles in the last year, um, and I had I had nothing to stand on because I, ha- I did not confirm that information, and I went on camera and provided the wrong information, and so with that, not only did I discredit the school district in that situation, but I also caused families to be more concerned about the safety and well-being of their children, um, and so that was on me for not having done my due diligence and just taking the information that I had received at face value. So that was one of the hardest and most public lessons that I have ever had the opportunity to learn.
0: Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. And Erin, uh, what about you? What's one thing uh, that you wish you knew before you got into communications and PIO duties?
1: Well, Lillian's definitely right that, you know you wanna, you wanna double or even triple check Information and everybody's annoyed about that in the moment when they're stressed and hurried until you screw up, right? And, until you someone told you, you know, but they didn't double check or they misheard. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I think what you learn in these crisis situations is everybody's just running around with their head cut off a little bit. Again, hopefully the operational stuff has happened and I trust it will. But as far as the sharing and vetting information, it really takes a couple hours before. You can listen to those nine one one calls and get a sense of how this really started, and put the puzzle pieces together and really that information. So I think the biggest thing is just that tension of trying to get stuff out in a timely manner and and also being accurate, right? Um, and 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 just understanding that that's going to be difficult judgment calls, um, and you know you're going to second guess yourself, right? Uh, even if things go really well, um, you're going to look back. You're going to be up at 2 a.m. thinking, why in the world did I not do this, right? I forgot to include that thing in the, in the press conference. I should have done this, you know, whatever. Um, you know, most of the time, the things that we obsess about, when you talk to those, when you talk to your neighbor a week later or you talk to a friend, they're completely oblivious to it, mm-hmm. and you know, just be kinder to yourself. You know, details matter. Work hard, keep learning, but obsessing over the kind of like the call came in at one thirty-seven p.m. and but mm-hmm. no one's going to remember that stuff two weeks later, right? Mm-hmm. Those like minute details don't matter. Mm-hmm. It's the big picture stuff again, you know. Um, so not sure if I answered your question there. I think Lillian hit the, hit the nail on the head of you're going to make mistakes. We all do stuff wrong um, and just try to learn from it.
0: Perfect. And we will leave it there. Erin Sarver, PIO for the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office, and Lillian Govis, she's the Director of Communications and Public Engagement for Buncombe County Government. Thank you both for being with us on School PR Drive Time. that was a wonderful conversation and I really appreciate Aaron and Lillian coming on to share their personal experience. And, and to me, when we do podcasts like this, and when we talk about topics like this, relationships matter. And I'm just so grateful that Lillian and Aaron and I have a great working relationship. And I know um, if a crisis strikes, they're literally just a phone call away and, and um, we'll be there to, to help support and and guide through um, the whole process uh, of dealing with a crisis. We hope you enjoyed uh, this latest episode of School PR Drive Time. And if there's a idea or a, a topic that you would like us to cover, don't hesitate to email that to ncspursocial@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And we'll link that in the show notes below. Have a great day.